From McKinsey's business building practice, Leap, I'm Andrew Roth, and welcome to The Venture, a series featuring conversations with legendary venture builders about how to design, launch, and scale new businesses. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice on how leaders can build successful businesses from scratch. The chief digital officer of a Thai incumbent catering to the food services sector explains how the company's B2B spinoff combines the best of the startup and enterprise worlds. In this episode of The Venture, we share a conversation with Tarayo Sambeketsim, who is also known as Mac. He is the head of MacNet and chief digital officer of CM Macro, the Thai branch of a multinational serving the hotel, restaurant, cafe, and catering sector, or known as Hareka. Macro recently launched MacNet, a B2B online marketplace offering food products and services by leveraging the mothership's 32 years of market experience and network of more than 5,000 partners and small and medium-sized enterprises. In less than a year since launching, MacNet is already Thailand's leading B2B marketplace for Hareka buyers and sellers. Sang Vakasim sat down with McKinsey's Thomas Laboka to discuss MacNet's mission to bridge the divide between startups and incumbents its funnel-based approach to attracting talent, and the importance of always remaining agile and open to disruption. At the close of the interview, McKinsey's Maria Ocampo weighs in. Hey, Mac. Uh, really excited to have you on the show. A true technologist with the experience from both sides of the table, right? So you build startups in the States, in Asia, and you led uh, large digital programs in Rakuten, and now as a chief digital officer at, and head of a digital business and, and macro. I'm always super curious, what is it that attracted you to join the dark side, the incumbents? Thank you, Thomas. And I think that's a really good question. Because I think when I first talked with the team at the macro, and we feel like, wow, we have a really big aspiration. It's like once in a lifetime opportunity for me that if we can build a true, real omni-channel and hit the ambition that they have, right, pretty much you just start to think through it from the feedback and from the idea that they have. And we know the company has the right to win. And also with the commitment and the will plan from the executive board. At that point, I feel like this is a really good opportunity. And I think I want to join and be part of this journey. That's quite interesting, right? There's very clear introspection coming from you, like being there, knowing that there is a big aspiration coming from the mothership, commitment by the board, but also the right to win. Can you tell me a bit more about that? What's the right to win and what was it here at Macro? If you look at Macro starts from the offline-centric business, they grow the business, right? We grow the business by just like scaling the store. And when the disruption hit, right, the executive board realized that, no, we cannot just do just the offline and the consumers start to shift. And at that point, we know we need to disrupt. We know we have the right to win. We have fresh product. We have a large footprint in the nationwide. With all that and the network and facility that we have, we think we can build a new business from there and have the disruption happen inside. So we can drive and create a new business on top of our existing business and transform ourselves. You're talking about the right to win, the nationwide distribution. People know macro, right? The brand is there, been there for decades. I want to bust one myth, and that is unlocking these assets is easy. Can you share a bit more experience? How do you really tap into this, into these assets, into this right to win? It's really easy, right? When we say we want to disrupt, we want to build a new venture within the company. I would say when it comes to the execution, it's just like really challenging. 
I think we need to set first, right? Have the alignment with the executive board. Uh, set up the right expectation and have the right commitment from the mothership, which is that part is really critical. So when that all come in place, right? What we decide to do is we decide to build a startup within the mothership, so we can cultivate the culture of the startup, move fast, and in the same time we can innovate and try things. But we also keep the lines open for the commitment with the mothership because otherwise we're gonna have the conflict between us and the mothership. We have the real-time stakeholder meeting to make sure we update the stakeholder and allow our executive board to unblock and help us keep moving. In the bubble that we talk about, we set up a new culture, right? and this culture becomes the sandbox environment that fit right to our aspiration that we want to build, so we can move fast. And we also unlock on the funding right? with the commitment from the executive board that they give us the fund for us to innovate and build based on the aspiration that we have. That's a great foundation, and it really felt like a bit of a back and forth with the executive boards, and you know, even with the bubble as you mentioned it. How do you prevent people from double hatting? How do you ensure everybody has their own responsibilities? I would say, have the, as I say, right, it's internal and external. Internal means we have to cultivate the culture, but the part that we touch is about the external on how we can set the right culture, cultivate the people, right, and enable them to win. So the way we do, right, we, we not really have executive board sit on another side and we say, hey, uh, you guys just sit there, but we let them co-create. We pull them in, we say, yes, we're going to have the transparency. We set up the alignment, we have your commitment, but in the same time, you are co-create with us. So you build it together with us. In the same time, you can give the guidance opinion, but we let the team run and empower the team to drive. This is incredibly important. The role of the executive, the, the sponsors, the mothership, and then the role of the team. I will go there in a second. I'm going to go back in time a little bit. So you get attracted to this big aspiration. We got resources at hand. You start learning how to unlock them with the board that you have and co-create. Now, when was the time when you start thinking, hey, you know what, this is not just aspiration. This is a real business. Like we're we're launching something that will actually succeed. Do you, do you remember what was that pivotal moment? Yes, I remember that moment, Thomas. We say, oh, this is going to be the big opportunity for us. We have the day one hypothesis and have the blueprint. And then we launched the MVP within three months. And at that time, we start to get into the small setup customer after we launch it. And we start to see the reorder it and the feedback from the customer. And we know that just like, that's an opportunity in there. And that's a real business that we can grow. It's really amazing when you go to the market as fast as, as we did, and you go really at tempo within three months of your life, what kind of feedbacks you get, right? And of course, there are many, many challenges at that moment and as you scale. Looking at the challenges that you have today, top of mind, what's on top of your mind right now? It's a lot, but I would say it's a fun challenge and it's worthwhile. Because when we start to go into that, just say if you see we disrupt the mothership, we create this sandbox, and we know it's a real business and we want to grow it and grow it at a hyper growth mode. The challenge that we see is how we can fulfill or disrupt the business to be in this online space, right? And the key part for us is go to fundamental objective. How can we fulfill the order? Because when we talk about the OTIF, it's not just how can you fulfill the order on time and in full. And from the outside, right, it looks like just like, okay, 
you can fix a small thing and it will work. But thinking about the retail that starts from the offline orient, you have to fix the fundamental. And it's the whole chain of the ecosystem that we have to go there. Fix from the operation process, how we can do supply chain, even the service quality and everything. And it combined it to become the OTIF. I would say that's the big challenge for us, right? The mindset on how we can transform from the offline to be the real omni-channel to drive this result. Wow. This really hits the, hit the nail on the head here, right? Because you start with the aspiration, you start with the assets that, that the mothership has. We have a distribution center throughout the country. We can leverage it. You hit the first product market fit. You got the metrics there. You start scaling and now the, the rubber hits the road. When you see, okay, I have to actually disrupt and change the whole operations of the offline business in order for us to scale. And it's not just like one tweaking or it's not just one channel that you ramp up, like performance marketing and everything happens. It's actually end-to-end. So the transformation is, becomes quite core to the whole organization. And that's quite a challenge indeed. Yeah, it is. It happened in parallel, right? Because when we build startup, we know startup going to have the growing pain and we start to grow the company, right? From a small one team that we have and keep growing. And, you know, we grow just like by 100 or 200 people within a year. At that point, the startup itself, right? Or our bubble that we set the sandbox, we have to iterate, right? Pivot, or I would say evolve. Also, in the same time, we have to disrupt the mothership, right? To say, hey, let's work on this so we can scale this business together. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Within the year, if you look at Magnet Macro Pro today, it's the leading B2B marketplace for hotels, restaurants, and cafes in Thailand. We get hundreds and thousands of orders a day with hundreds of third-party sellers. It's quite a milestone that we're hitting, but it's an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing journey from the few core and then from you having the motivation to join, to grow then the team in a few hundreds that's today. And you know what? Majority of C-levels have this as a top of mind challenge that they have, and that is attracting talent. We've run surveys uh, earlier this year. We see that really 87% of C-levels don't see themselves really ready to attract the talent. So can you share a bit more on the advice for that you have for fellow incumbents and then new ventures to be, what would be the way to attract world-class talent? Yes, I think this is a good, really, really good question. And I think that's the key because uh, we know for the fact that when we start the business with this aspiration, the business strategy is going to pivot. And the key important for us is people, which is talent. We need to understand what type of business we are going to build and then what type of people that we need to get them in, right? To drive and co-create this business. And now when it comes to the environment on what is the best environment or the culture that we can cultivate and enable them to perform. So when we have that clear in mind, right? And we start to set up the right environment for them. Now we just leave it and we export that to them. We can go outside, right? And market on that and public and tell them that, hey, we not just say that we leave it, or we're going to build this, but this is the environment that we're going to build. And we think you are the right person that come in and help co-create with us. So you have this whole employee branding that you're trying to market and advertise to the world. And of course, the sandbox that you create is not easy to protect all the time. How did you crunch through these challenges and kind of maintain that sandbox intact? I agree. Pretty much what we did is we redesigned the value proposition and the career path for our talent. Right? Because we know that the talent that we need for this business is really different 
from the core business that we have. And also we re-architect that career path and compensation plan. Because at that point, it's not just about attract the talent, but how can we retain them? And I would say one of the key challenge, right? We cannot go as fast as the startup that start from scratch, but at least we get a commitment from the executive board that we can go enterprise scale of the mothership, but in the same time, we try to speed and accelerate up so we can be competitive with other startups that we have to compete with. Do you have a metric that you measure when you talk about speed of acquiring talent? Yes, we look at the first time that when we engage with the, just say the candidate to the time that we hire. That's part we analyze uh, from just say the pipeline, right? We will see in the final on when is the first time we engage with the candidate where they just like fall into each step. And so, and when we hire them. Because at that point, right, we can tweak the funnel and we know where's the roadblock or where's the slowness and we can modify or optimize it in each area. Love it. It's, it's a very analytical approach on talent and it makes all the sense in the world because you want to match the speed and it's something that you can have a real conversations with the board and unblock anything that's coming your way. Meg, you're a veteran in the industry. You already know the ins and outs, how to operate in this environment of incumbent. But the folks that you're going to attract Many might come from startups. Many might be fresh to uh, this sandbox, this uh, playground that you're setting up. How do you help them? How do you coach them in this environment so they can uh, succeed and interact with the mothership also in a way that's going to really help them thrive? I would say I'm no veteran by all means. I'm still learning every day, Thomas. And I think that's kind of just like the beauty of this. But I would say when we get the folks from the peer startup, the way that I believe there's a startup that you can go fast, but go in a sustainable speed. And that's kind of beauty or the balance between both. Between to say, how can you go at the startup that you can go really fast, but that's a beauty of the enterprise and we try to bridge that part. If they see that beauty, they know that, okay, I cannot go with the speed of the startup that I can take risk every time. But they also have a beauty of the maturity and how you can be I would say risk management or risk mitigation. And when they see that beauty on both sides and they see the bridge in between, I would say the key part for me is to empower them. So first, we just have the alignment, have them see the differentiation between startup and the enterprise and us as the real environment that we sit in between. Now, when they have that context, next step is empower them to try and fail fast and also keep pivot and learning from that. So when they have that context, I think we can align with the team, align with them, and start to coach them to have them try, have them experience it, and teach them or coach them on how they can balance between this is the expectation from the outside, from the mothership, that sometimes might be very different, and also from the inside, or the objective that they want to grow, right? or they want to drive the business to drive that innovation. I think the more and more we learn and pivot in that area, and I would say I learn along with them, right? Because in each environment, it's very different. And you don't have to take the recipe to be successful in that. But I think it's more about methodology that we apply and pivot and learn together. I would say that's the key part and the core of our culture, that everyone feels like this is a playground. They come in, they learn. If they don't see the context or they hit the wall or make the mistake, it's totally fine because we're going to grow and we're going to keep growing. Wow, that's amazing. I'm kind of curious. You're saying, hey, I'm not a veteran and I'm still learning. What advice that you would give to the 60-year-old yourself that you would want to learn in the next decades to go? 
that's a good question. And I think that's a tough question. I would say maybe a few things. I would tell just like uh, the people, right? Just like, or even myself, just like, enjoy, have fun. I think that's the key part that even it's challenging, but they always have a positive side in that challenge. And if you work alongside with the right people and you can drive that positive energy to enjoy and have fun with the challenge. And the next one is just like be open to agility and disruption. Because if you really believe in the disruption and the agility, I think anything is possible. It's not about the idea that we have today that is best, but it's about how can we pivot, iterate, and be open to the disruption that's going to come in and write on it and use our experience to get on and be able to just like take just like kind of advantage and take that opportunity to make something better. Amazing. I can see the fun that you have by building this and the openness to learn, the uh, openness to agility and, and kind of pivot as you go through the journey since you joined and all the way till you're building a very successful business, you know, the largest B2B marketplace in, in a country. Thanks so much for sharing all these gold nuggets and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. In this section, we invite McKinsey's expert guests to share their unique perspectives and insights. And today, I'd like to welcome Maria Ocampo. She's the digital expert associate partner focusing on talent. With deep expertise over the decade, it's a real pleasure to welcome her to the show. Maria, welcome. Thanks for having me, Thomas. What really stood out for me from the interview with Mac is the notion of building culture right next to the mothership. And I see corporate venture builders often think, I've got the green light. I can build now, I can go and set up my new venture, and the culture will just take care of itself. But clearly, that's often not the case. From experience, uh, what are some of the essential principles in designing culture? We know through innovation studies in 100 plus companies that the likelihood of a successful venture increases by a factor of 3.4 when you cultivate culture around these six main principles. Purpose, looking out, experimentation, collaboration, empowerment, refinement. The first one that I would like to bring to everyone is purpose. We know that this generation of top talent is very focused on purpose. It is so much so that if you look, for example, green business building, we understand that green business does not require necessarily a new set of skills, but a group of people that really focus on the purpose of saving the planet. So if you think of marketing for green business building, you are thinking about marketing with a strong sense of purpose around sustainability. That's clear. What is the next one? The next one is collaboration. And this means that we really get a multidisciplinary team working together in an agile way in a challenging environment. I think the way that I have seen organizations making this succeed is, for example, with different systems of, of peer bonuses. And if your team is the winner of a peer bonus contest, how will you collectively decide what you do with your peer bonus altogether? Oh, wow. That is one way that I see companies really innovating in creating opportunities for themselves around team building and learning. So you're really incentivizing the whole team to ultimately perform because they are the ones who are then deciding how they're going to slice up the cake, so to speak. Exactly. And the way to win these points is by helping other teams. That is really fascinating. What's your last favorite design principle for building culture? 
empowerment. We are talking about not only providing autonomy and clarity and processes, but when we are talking about ventures, we're talking about really small organizations where you cannot afford not in the same direction. It's the reason why a strong and clear culture is important very early on where the founding team is uh, empowered and involved in creating this new culture and not having only top decisions. Involving the C-level early on and hiring them very early on to be involved in shaping this culture and set this direction and these principles of empowerment as the company grows. Once you have the culture, as we've heard also with Mac, you don't just have the culture to be able to build a business, but you also have the culture to radiate to outside. You actually can take it as a part of the employer value proposition and literally broadcast it to the world to attract the right talent that will help you build a business. Now, culture is surely one of the key building blocks. What else would be the good foundation for employee value proposition? Yeah, that's right, Thomas. In a world in which hiring is going to be one of your first priorities, we have to think of how do we give people the opportunity to do exciting work, challenging projects that you will find stimulating and intellectually rewarding. Next to that, of course, we think of being a great employer, being part of an organization with a meaningful mission that has values that align to those of my own. Last but not least, we have personal growth, which is how do I get opportunities to advance my careers with tailored capability building along the way? The reskilling and upskilling is something which will be really the complete norm uh, going forward. What are some of the interesting ways how you've seen uh, new ventures designing their personal growth and career paths? We know that 50% of the target talent for ventures prioritizes leadership opportunities in a new job. But that doesn't mean necessarily leadership. To attract this new venture talent, you will need to reconsider what leadership means. For example, we talk about giving people the ability to switch between the managerial and expert path following their own developmental goals. Um, am I going to be a tech lead or am I going to be a really advanced, skilled Java developer? That's a really fundamental one, yeah? Because you're basically saying, you know what? I'm going to lead as a thought leader, not as a people leader. I'm not going to manage a squad of engineers, but I'm actually going to be just a really, really, really good. A really, really good engineer. And there's a vast majority of people in venture talent that is really driven by this. And uh, in my experience, when you drive those folks to manage people, it tends to be a bit messy because they don't have like the motivation to lead. That is a very good one. What are some of the other components? Giving them quick movement between different roles to get additional skills. Let's say I'm a backend engineer and I want to dabble with some data engineering. So you have some rotation. Exactly. Any other components of the personal growth that you would really recommend for the new ventures? Give people the flexibility to choose their own learning curricula, move away from a corporate catalog of learning to give people a personal development budget where they find opportunities of what they really need to go learn outside. It kind of goes back to the design principles of the culture. You empower them. So you also empower them to ultimately take control and charge of their own uh, growth. Indeed. It's important to give people a defined way or a vision for how they can progress in their careers but don't necessarily tie them to that. Maybe their individual way is different. This was fantastic, Maria. As always, really practical insights on how do you build talent-first new organizations. 
I'm already looking forward to bringing you on the next time. So thanks again for sharing. Thanks for having me, Thomas. And super good talking to you and looking forward to the next time. You have been listening to The Venture. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 